Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is the Hideaway Podcast, episode 13. Dreizin. Hey, we're back. We're back from our Italian vacation. And I'm having gelato withdrawal. Yeah, the gelato in Italy is... The best. Really, it's really superb. But the chocolate gelato is just so delicious. Or the melon. I love melon gelato yeah. where they have like the actual pieces of melon in it. Yeah, but the chocolate gelato tastes like brownie mix that's not been cooked yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. On the food, I saw this thing. I don't remember where it is. I think it's in New York. But basically, you know how there was like the cronut? Like a croissant and a donut? Yeah, the cronut. So now there's a crone and it's a croissant that's a cone and you put they put ice cream in it and oh my god so it's a crone <laughs> i really consider that at circus krona <laughs> what's that was a circus called circus krona i think in germany k-r-o-n-e <laughs> and they could serve the crone at the krona oh and and more on the on the food train i was looking up the um the harry potter and the cursed the cursed child the new the new play in england yeah it's a play that i forget who it's you know, J.K. Rowling wrote it with, um, maybe Jack Thorne is his name, but he's like an actual playwright. Yeah. Uh, Christine no, Jones I'm... is doing the set. Stephen Hoggett's doing um, choreography. It's being directed by... Uh, John Tiffany. John Tiffany. Who is one of my favorite directors. Yeah, and he did like one the of my Glass favorite shows I've Menagerie. seen in New York. Well, Glass Menagerie was great, but also um, the Vampire one. Oh, uh, the right one Let in. the right one in that we saw at... So good. Oh, that's why that whole team is together again, because of Let the Right One In. Yeah, it's, it's the, the same, same Let team. the Right One In. But anyway, I'm back back on the food. So I'm looking at... I was looking up the dates of when it's playing in London. And because, of course, I want to see it. And the concessions is like the concessions from the Hogwarts train. Oh, cool. Isn't that cool? So what kind of stuff do they have? They have like, you know, the, the jelly, every flavored jelly bean or whatever. And like the chocolate frogs. The chocolate frogs. And I was like, man, that's so fun. So fun. But the play takes place like when Harry, Hermione and Ron are, are like in their 40s or 50s and they have their kids in school. And, uh. And I just want to see it so badly. So how long until you think it's on Broadway? If it, it's opening in England in about a month in London. No, the end of this month. End of this month. So then how long until it hits hits Broadway? Uh, spring. Spring. <laughs> <laughs> It'll make it for this year's Tonys? Yes. <laughs> Speaking of things that are coming to Times Square, two of my favorite passions, Circus, Cirque du Soleil, and the NFL are teaming up to build a 40,000. Your newly found of NFL. I've looked it for like three years now. To go, your parents. Go say. Pats. <laughs> but they're, they're building a 40,000 square foot attraction. Permanent, uh, permanent. Permanent attraction in the heart of Times Square that basically has, it's sort of like a museum with movies and interactive components. Tickets are going to be $30. And the idea is you go in and I guess you do different NFL related Cirque du Soleil inspired immersive tasks and games and things. I bet you it won't be Cirque du Soleil inspired. I bet you it's going to be like NFL stuff with Cirque's ideas of how to make you do that. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And it's an interesting. A lot of the coverage has been talking about 
this is the first example of Cirque du Soleil really branching into a totally new direction, partnering with a sports franchise mm-hmm. to do something that's not even really a live circus show, and that this could be the new model for Cirque du Soleil to do these kinds of partnerships and big, unusual kinds of hybrid well, event good, crossover. Good at the, uh, the creating new things and like the spectacles. They're good at that. Yeah, I think I think it's hard to say anybody's better at spectacle than Cirque du Soleil. Um, me. <laughs> you, you. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty spectacular. <laughs> yeah, but like that, I mean, that was what I always didn't understand was why when Julie Taymor did Spider-Man, why she didn't do use Cirque's kind of. I'm like 90% sure they reached out to Cirque du Soleil and in the early like days no. and Cirque. I think they said no, and I think it was because like they were concerned about the, the lyric, theater? which is oh, yeah, yeah. ironic because now that's <laughs> where the, the Paramore, Paramore is their their Broadway show. But they're not trying to fly over the oh, like it's the Ab- Aberton, 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 Atherton twins. Atherton, damn it, Atherton twins. They do fly out over the islands, but they're on straps, right? They are on straps. Not nearly as complicated as the the Spider-Man rigging was. But they do have live drones, which is pretty oh, right. crazy to have in an indoor theater. Like the flying flying drones, quadcopters. Uh, but enough about quadcopters. <laughs> On today's episode, we called up Catherine Kavanaugh. We recorded this episode about three weeks ago when we weren't sure if we would have enough time this week to record a, an episode. Which is why we don't address Brexit. Yeah, we didn't address Brexit because it hadn't happened yet. But so Catherine is a British circus critic and journalist. She runs a website called The Circus Diaries. And uh, yeah, we'll have to ask her how she thinks Brexit's going to affect the circus industry and getting international circus performers in and out of the UK. Yeah. Because with the EU, it's pretty easy to get all these European circus performers in and out of the country. But in any case, the interview is really interesting. It's sort of a discussion of what it takes to be a circus critic. How do you write about circus? What are some of the challenges in identifying uh, what's going on in the show and describing it to sort of a wide variety of audiences? If you're a fan of the show, which I really, really hope you are, please share us on Facebook, Instagram us, tweet us, and rate us on iTunes. We have gotten some ratings. Yeah, I think we have like seven five stars. That's very good. Yeah, so far, <laughs> so far we've got a perfect score. But please, so don't don't mess it up, <laughs> please. Um, but yeah, so here's Catherine. Tell me about the the grant you got to come over to the states and see all the circus. Yeah, so um, the Arts Council in England um, they have an open pot of money which is grants for the arts, but they have a specific um, specific pot within that, which is called Artists International Development Fund, which is in um, it's the Arts Council England and the British Council put money into that, and it is for people working in whatever art form uh, to develop their own personal networks and personal um, knowledge and experience within their um, remit. And I was at a um, outdoor arts showcase event last October and somebody from the Arts Council got up and said we need more people from the performing arts particularly um, circus and outdoor arts because people aren't applying so I thought oh I'll look that away in my brain and um, and then earlier this year I was in conversation with 
um, marketing manager from No Fit State Circus because they just moved into a new training space in Cardiff, which is where I now live. And um, they said, oh, we're going off to New York. And I went, oh, well, that could tie in with this idea that was ticking around in my brain. So I went and had a look at the <laughs> at the funding details on the website. And uh, there's the deadline for that round of applications was 5 p.m. the next day. <laughs> so I did my application in less than 23 hours and somehow it came through. That so that so was nice. good news. That's awesome. Yeah, it means I'm not going to spend weeks and weeks panicking about applications <laughs> in the future again, I think. <laughs> for for people who are in the States and maybe haven't come across your your online magazine blog, which I've now been following for about a year and a half to get all my news about circus in the UK, <laughs> could you tell everybody what the Circus Diaries is and sort of how you began writing it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the... Uh, it's thecircusdiaries.com, that's the plug. And it started off as an experiment, really, uh, because I was frustrated that I wanted to find out more about circus shows and work that was happening and couldn't find the information anywhere. And um, after being frustrated for a while, there was a light bulb moment where I thought, well, I could start putting that information out <laughs> and uh, maybe other people will be interested in it. So that's what I started doing. Um, at, around the time that I started writing the blog, there was also um, an EU-funded festival residency called Unpack the Arts, which was set up to encourage uh, cultural journalists to explore contemporary circus and find out how to write in a more informed way about the sort of work that's happening. So I took part in one of those in Belgium, and that gave me the confidence to continue because there aren't really or very few and far between experts in writing on circus performance these days so it's okay to start as a beginner yeah. <laughs> because we need beginners before we can have experts so yeah that was three years ago I started the blog and it's had a couple of makeovers since then sort of as I'm getting more um more feedback from people who, I, I mean, I've come over to the, the States this month and I'm meeting people in Chicago or, or New York like yourselves going, oh yeah, I read your blog and it's really useful. And that's a, that's a bit of a confidence boost as well. And so that inspires me to keep trying to up the game. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about sort of what the challenge of reviewing circus shows are and some of the, the challenges in using language to describe what you're seeing. The challenges of reviewing the shows um, for me now, I think are more about the finding the information that I want to communicate because um, most of the time circus shows don't um, give out like programs which have performers' names or directors' names or anything like that. So each time I write a review, I'm spending hours trawling the internet and Facebook, trying to work out who these people are to give credit to where credit is due. Um, because I do think that is important. Like Cirque, Cirque du Soleil shows, they have this brilliant press site where you can get all the information about their creative teams um, who normally rack up like 12, 15 people of... Um, from across the costumes and the music and the direction, but the actual performers in their shows don't get 
any mention at all. They, they just talk about the character names. And I think if we're going to develop a culture where high-quality performance is recognised, it's not just about the overall show, it's about the individuals involved and the skills that people can have. So, um, yeah, I think crediting performers <laughs> is a real challenge. And it's so uh, funny because it's, it's something you wouldn't think about as being difficult to find, but I... I mean, my background is theater and, and getting that playbill and having that and reading about the performers after I've watched the show is is really fun for me. And that yeah. is something that does frustrate me about circus. Yeah, because um, I'm the same. I came from a theater background. And when I was younger, like that would always be what I'd look at is <laughs> where these people trained in the right. programs. Yeah, like, um, how can I get that good? <laughs> yeah, but I think um, other challenges in terms of writing about circus, for me, I do notice that uh, people who are used to working um, strictly as a theatre reviewer um, for, for plays or for musical theatres or or even for the kind of experimental stuff now, they will all often look at a circus show and try and look at it through the lens of their previous expertise. So. They will comment on where it lives up to what they think a good theatre show should be mm-hmm. without um, stopping to imagine that maybe circus isn't trying to be what theatre is trying to be and that the intentions and the, and the desire that create a successful show are not the same. Um, so there's a, there's a challenge for people to get outside of their conventional expectations and... and actually see circus as a separate thing with a separate agenda um, from from what a dance show or a theatre show might set out to do. Um, and there are crossovers, of course, but, um, yeah, they, they sit in slightly separate circles of this Venn diagram. Um, and then from people within circus, there's a fear, I think, of... Um, one of being critical about other people's work uh, in a public sphere. Like a couple of times people have said to me, I would like to write reviews for you, but um, I'm not sure about putting my name to it because it's such a small world in circus and a a small collaborative um, movie world. Everybody moves around a lot. Um, Somebody said to me recently, when you start circus, you start travel, and it's <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Um, so the pe- person that you might not enjoy their performance one day and write a review of, you might be working with in the show the next day, and that, I think, is a challenge for, for people who are still actively working, which is why there's not a lot of critical comment coming from within the circus industry as there is in in maybe other forms. I I think it's interesting how a circus act in one show can look amazing and another show look terrible, even if the act's Mm -hmm. the exact same almost. Because when I saw Bianco, I had a friend in it whose act I had seen in Switzerland, and I was like, oh yeah, that's a nice act. Like, didn't, I mean, it didn't really strike me as anything amazing. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it in Bianco, I was like, oh my God, he absolutely killed it. That was one of the best acts I've ever seen. And I think had I... And trick-wise, it's almost the exact same. Like, his vocabulary is very, very similar. His style of movement is very, very similar. But given the new context, I was really blown away by it in a way that I hadn't been the first time I'd seen it. But one one thing um, 
I do find at the moment that is quite a challenge for me is that there are so many um, different reasons why criticism can exist. Um, and I've been kind of reading books and studying and, and uh, looking into the history of criticism. But because there are so few people writing about circus in this way, I kind of feel like I have to try and cover all of those bases in one review, which <laughs> is not as useful as if there were six different people all writing from right. from their own different perspectives. So I'm, I'm trying to make it useful to artists who might be researching what to do for the next show or other things that might be similar. I'm trying to make it useful for audiences who are trying to figure out whether they want to go and see this production or not. I'm trying to make it useful for um, like venue bookers and um, people who might be programming work, give them the information that they need. I am trying to make it useful to historians and researchers because um, <laughs> for people who are trying to research uh, circus performance from a historical point of view, it's a real struggle because that is a um, lot. that's a lot of audiences you have to write for. If I was one of a big pool of people um, writing circus reviews, I, I would probably try and focus down more. But I, I feel like this massive responsibility on my shoulders a lot of the time that just, I've, I've just got to try and get as much information about as much circus out there as possible so that isn't many people can know about it and spread it further and it's like starting a web um and, and hopefully that web will continue to spread and uh i won't have to do it all <laughs> so we usually wrap up our our interviews by asking two questions right um, and i think you're going to be great to answer particularly the first one so uh, we like to ask our guests for a book a movie and a show recommendation and they don't necessarily have to be anything. It could just be a book you love or a show you love, um, but maybe something that you know the audience would enjoy reading, watching, and seeing. Okay, so the book I'm going to go with. Um, I'm trying to pick one of two. Um, I'm going to go with Semiotics of the Circus by oh, Paul Cusack. Oh, yeah. Okay, well. We have that on our bookshelf. Perhaps I will read that book next. Yeah, no, it's great. He's he's the only person that I know that's actually writing analytically about performance rather than about dramaturgy or kind of social circus elements and things like that. He's he's writing about what makes an act strong and the the detail of how a performance works and why it works. Um, and he's he's 83, he's brilliant. I met him when I was in Toronto. That was like my high academic point of the tour. Um, and he's got um, he's got another book that's um, Circus's Multimodal Discourse, and he's got one on the clowns, he's got a new one coming out. Um, so I really kind of look up to him as that's something to aspire to, like have more analysis of, of circus performance out there. Um, yeah. So that's my book, uh, a show and a film. There is a show that it doesn't exist. In, well, I don't, um, it doesn't currently have a tour or anything like that. But I really are the most interesting. Oh, no. Oh, can I do two? Because I didn't do a film. Sure. <laughs> cool. um, 
there's there was a show called um, Shelter Me by a group called going by the name Circumference, and they um, they set up to do a, a an immersive circus experience in the vein of kind of punch drunk um, mm. type type work where they set up in a building and they lead you through and the different rooms have different environments and then you'll stumble upon circus performers doing various things and you end up on the roof of this building watching um, the artists swinging out literally above the London skyline which is incredible um, and there it wasn't a perfect show by any means, but I think it was really um, brave and it was very successful for being like the first circus company uh, to ever attempt this kind of thing. Um, and I would like to see more of that kind of work. So that's that, that's a special show, I think. And, and then another one that I really enjoyed because it, it seemed like it was kind of innovating and it, it was using uh, an environment where you're involved as, as the audience member, which we've talked about, um, but also those things that we've said about using circus to represent and to illustrate a story, but mm -hmm. also to tell its own stories. It was a show by Crash Mat Collective. That's a fun um, name which is a, a Welsh, well, oh, they're based in Cardiff, um, and a lot of the performers have done um, stuff with No Fit State before. And the show was called, ah, oh, this is going to kill me now, um, uh, Facade. The show was called Facade. And it was a dining experience. Um, I saw it in the Welsh Millennium Centre, and they took it to different theatres, so it did go up to London and stuff. And in the black box studio space kind of riggable studio space they set up tables they had um a kitchen and the performers were your waiters for the day so that was that, that they really were taking your orders and they really were bringing your food but then they were also um in character and as they moved around the room you would get different snippets of their relationships um, through what they were saying, how they were talking to each other, how they were talking to us. And there was some voiceover soundtrack that was like their internal monologues as well. And then um, there were also set pieces that were character studies. So one that comes to mind was the guy um, that was like doing uh, like war flashbacks. Like um, uh, he was a veteran and now he was working in this restaurant um but his his act was like the violence of of the things that he'd experienced previously um and there was uh, and, and the different pieces of kit were set up above tables so there was like the, the hand balance on one and there was um a trapeze above another and there's a chinese pole and and then there would also be kind of choreographic sequences in the chairs and on the tables and around you and um yeah, it was a really special show, and I think it should have more life in it. So if anybody's listening for Crash Mat Collective, get that show back on the road or theatres, book it, or, or venues, anywhere, book it, because that's, um, yeah, that needs more life in it, I think. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. And then our final question is, had you not become a circus critic and writer, what do you think you would have done? 
a totally different world, probably be a teacher. Yeah. Um, cause I like, I like working with people a lot. Like, um, so the, the stuff that I do with the circus diaries doesn't pay me any money. Like this trip of coming to the States has been a one-off funding that I mentioned from the arts council just for this month. Um, but otherwise the only way that I make any money from my <laughs> circus writing is there's a Patreon page associated where people can kind of donate a monthly amount to get the, um, the, the content I produce direct to their inbox. Um, so I get about a hundred dollars a month from that, um, which doesn't cover travel to see with like two shows. Um, but um, my jobs that I do to earn me money, I am a giggle doctor for Theodora Children's Charity, which is very similar to the clown care program oh. that Big Apple Circus run. Um, so we go into children's hospitals and um, we play games with the kids and we entertain the kids and we're all kind of trained from performance backgrounds. Um, so it's very much about meeting the needs of the, of the children and that that interaction, that participation, I really enjoy. So, um, and, and I've done theatre work in schools as well in the past, so I guess, yeah, in a, in a different world, I would be a teacher. Yes. And so how can people find your Patreon? Um, so at the bottom of every page that I, every post that I make on the Circus Diaries, there's a little button that says, if you want to keep the Circus Diaries alive, please click here to donate so you can do that. Or if you go on the Patreon slash the Circus Diaries, I think, or you could just, just search for it. Um, I have a Facebook page as well, which is the Circus Diaries on Facebook and there's a Twitter, which is now Circus Diaries. So I am getting the brand together slowly and surely so um there's lots of different ways in that you can find me but yes the best way to keep up to date on all your circus information of shows news reviews uh is to get updates straight to your e email oh, i can't even talk i'm just gonna give up right now <laughs> just sign up for patreon please and um that will really help make me continue doing these things that lovely people like um josh here think is important and um yeah hopefully you do too yeah. Well, thank you for fighting the good fight and spreading <laughs> spreading information about circus that, you know, at least I otherwise wouldn't be able to get. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. That was our interview with Catherine Kavanaugh. Hope you enjoyed it. I just realized her name is great for, like, if she was a sports player. And next we have Catherine Kavanaugh. Although book Kenneth. What kind of wait, hold on. What kind of sport are you imagine Catherine playing where you get announced like that? Baseball. Oh, baseball. I was imagining like WWE wrestling. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe more of what I did. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends. Go on iTunes, rate us. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks. Bye.